Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Yeah, we're going to open up God's Word this morning and I just want to say, uh, yeah, it's cool to be here. Um, I, if you don't know, my name's Jake and I'm married to Fiona and she's just about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And I'm very fortunate. I've got three sons, uh, Zane, Seth, and Abe, so 14, 12, and Abe, who we refer to uh, as Abelicious, um, because he's quite delicious, and his name is Abe. It wasn't complicated, but I made it simple for you anyway. And uh, he's almost about to turn eight. So uh, that's about, that's going to be the culmination of 12 months of I'm going to turn eight soon, uh, from counting from sort of 364 days ago, almost. And so we're looking forward to that, and we're looking forward to the next installment of I'm going to turn nine um, from that day on. Uh, but my children are wonderful, and uh, my son Zane uh, serves in our, in our boom team, in our uh, primary school age children this morning. And so uh, whenever I, if I travel out of town, I had to say to Fee, uh, you know, anyone like married here, and, you know, you share calendars? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, we share calendars well, but uh, I realized now I had to take it another step. And so yesterday, Fee says, you know, who's preaching tomorrow? And I said, well... I'm preaching in Christchurch tomorrow. And she's like, oh, okay. And I had that sort of tense moment. I can feel like, and I said, it's been the calendar, it's in the calendar. It's been in the calendar for ages. And then, and then I was told that, oh, but you still need to tell me that you're going to be preaching in Christchurch. And I think I'm following the rules all the time, but I had to tell her as well that I'm, hey, by the way, tomorrow, do you remember that it's in the calendar that I put there months ago? But I'm telling you now as well, on top of that, and here's a coffee this morning as well that I freshly made for you. And um, that was our conversation yesterday. So uh, still happily married after 21 years, which is, which is awesome. But um, life is funny. Life is funny. And so that's me. And I want to say a big thanks to John and Emma, uh, great friends of ours and have been for many years. Uh, our wives got on really well. John and I tolerate each other. But um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. John tolerates me. Uh, but uh, we're great friends and you guys have got great passes. And can we just can we just clap our hands to say we think you guys are amazing and thank you for all that you're doing. Um, I, I just always reflect on, you know, Jono, Jono sacrificed a pretty, pretty significant job to do this. And whilst I know that we sacrifice a lot, I was just reflecting, Jono, this morning that, you know, Samuel often said to Saul, you know, Saul's big mistake was, you know, he sacrificed instead of being obedient when he should have been obedient. And that's why he didn't really inherit the promise that God had. And I think for you, man, I just, you know... It was a sacrifice, but more than that, it was a step of obedience that you knew there was something in your heart more significant, and I just want to honor you for that, because it's a cool step, and I really, I really know God's got big things, and um, yeah, it's cool. Okay, as articulate as I can sound that. Um, hey, I want to show, um, I haven't really worked with the team on what's happening, but you guys will be all good. There's about three photos that I just want to share uh, throughout the course of this message, of which I will detail them in detail for you guys, but uh, I want to show you a picture of an ice cube. Oh, this... That's a crack team. See, it's just like we finish each other's. Set. What? Okay, sandwiches. Yeah, right. We went another level with that. Um, but, but I, 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 I want to show you this picture more as a, a bit of a kind of a prophetic statement, but also something about an ice cube. And you might know this analogy, but I just think it's it's really important to talk about this morning because with an ice cube. Uh, I read a book, a real significant book by a guy called James Clear. You might have read this book called Atomic Habits. And uh, a lot of people had 
had recommended it to me. And, you know, if you listen to podcasts and things like this and hang out in kind of the world that I hang out with, there's people that talk about books all the time. And so you tend to hear one that comes up time and time again. And so if they do, I tend to chuck them on my read list and my notes. And I read through these books. And this was, this was, I thought, a really good book. And he used this analogy. It wasn't his. But he used this analogy of these ice cubes. And he talked about the fact that um, what, at what temperature does the ice melt? It's not a trick question. Zero. Yeah, zero. Okay. Okay. Uh, zero. Uh, it melts at zero. And, uh, but you can, have, you can have the ice there, and you can increase the temperature in the room. Uh, every, another degree, another degree, another minus four. You can go to minus three, and you can keep increasing the temperature, right, and expect the ice to melt. But every time you increase the temperature, the ice doesn't melt, and you feel like, I'll turn it up another notch, and I'll turn up the temperature of the room another notch, and another notch, and another notch, and you're still looking at ice cubes that haven't melted. And it's a, really, it's a really great analogy because the ice cubes won't melt. And you feel like you're doing all this stuff and you're, and you're trying to do everything that you can and you're still dialing up the temperature more and more and more. But yet the ice cube, cubes remain fairly stoic and they say, we're not going to melt. Because they can't melt until you turn it up finally to zero degrees where you'll start to see it fracture and you'll start to see the, the, the beads of perspiration. The, the ice is now like, this is so hot in here. And that's the point where the ice starts to melt. So I can feel like in life, how many can relate to that? Nothing's happening. Man, I'm doing all this stuff and I feel like I'm trying to live my best life and I'm trying to do all the things that I can, but I still, I still see the ice as an ice cube, a block of ice that's not melting, nothing's breaking and nothing's happening. And sometimes in my life, I can feel like that. And I want to talk about, uh, I want to talk about the disruptive love of Jesus, the disruptive love of Jesus. And so, Throughout um, lockdown, we've talked about lockdown enough, and so we're not really going to talk about that a lot more because there's a whole bunch of, we're pivoting to this and that and, uh, and all the terms that we're using and things. But we, we did some cool things over this period as a church in Equipers in Monaco. And uh, one thing that we did is that we sent some, we sent, oh, that's me. Um, but we sent some cupcakes to um, some doctor surgeries. Uh, there we go. There's the cupcakes. And... I really felt like, because we've got a few GPs in our church, and if you don't know, GPs at this season are really under it, and uh, having to do a whole bunch more work, and if you're a GP in the room, I salute you, I think you're amazing, and we've got a few of them in our church, and also a few um, great GPs that we know in our community, and so, so we just had this idea, we're going to send cupcakes to some GP surgeries and say, we think you're amazing, and uh, we know some of you don't go to our church, we didn't really say that, but... We, uh, you know, you're welcome. No, we didn't do any of that. We just sent cupcakes and we really wanted to bless them. And, uh, and we got some of these comments um, back. And these were the cupcakes, just in case you're hungry. I just, I love when the icing is as high as the actual cupcake itself. I think that's the way to eat a cupcake. And, but we, we sent these cupcakes out because we just, I just said to our church, come on, we've just, we've just got to do something. And we were doing a whole bunch of other initiatives that seemed far more significant than spending, I think we spent 100 and $50, no, $200 on cupcakes. Cupcakes aren't cheap. I always say to the team, they always want to do stuff, and I'm like, oh, yep, is that like what? It's like a buck for a cupcake? And they're like, oh, what world are you living in, man? They're like $5 each. And so we sent this to a bunch of surgeries in, in our community, and these were some of the comments we, we got back. My team and I felt loved and seen. They felt loved and seen. It has been a tough week all around. The timing was perfect. Again, the cupcakes, right? This is not a complicated story. The timing was perfect. Another said, thank you for the unexpected kindness. So they weren't expecting 
that day people in their world who didn't know them to be kind, right? And then another one said, we felt really acknowledged. Again, they weren't expecting to, to be acknowledged for, the, for, for just simply doing their job. And, and this was a comment from a friend of mine, nice looking cupcake. Somebody put these aside for me so I didn't miss out. They were a hit. He was the one guy that we knew from that surgery who wasn't there in that particular surgery that day. And we said to, I said to all the, um, the people that I knew within the surgery, some were, were quite a lot, and I said, some, oh, we've got about you know, 30 in our surgery. And I'm like, okay, 30 times five, carry the one. It's going to be a billion dollars of cupcakes. But, but we, we sent them out because uh, I counted all the people so that nobody missed out. And so we did this cupcake thing, and, and we got this, uh, all this feedback back. And anyway, what happened, what kind of transpired after that is, is um, some of you know Tremaine. Tremaine is part of Equipa's uh, revolution, our sort of kind of youth band. And he leads our massive community, so our intermediate community. And I had, we had these sort of, we've got these mutual friends that go to another church in our community that we know through our son's football. And their son comes to our massive program on Friday night because there's not a program for them. And so he's really enjoyed coming to our intermediate program on Friday nights. And... Uh, this family, their church was kind of locked down. We were sort of like, if we can meet, we meet. So we were meeting, and they said, hey, we'll come to, we're going to come to your church um, this Sunday. And so they came to church this Sunday, and they've been sort of hanging out with us. And anyway, what had happened is they eventually picked up COVID, like probably we all did. And then I got this message from, from the dad. Hey, Jake, man, thanks so much uh, for the care pack that we received. To which I'm like, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, no, you're welcome, man. That, yeah, we, we're a really thoughtful church, and I'm thinking, what the care pack? What care pack did we send these guys? And so I contacted Tremaine, and I said to Tremaine, "What do we do with the stones? Like, what was the care pack?" And he said, "Oh, yeah, we sent them out a care pack because the whole family's got COVID." And then, and then he says this to me, and I want to, I want to read this verbatim because he texts me and he says, "Everyone else was sending care packages since ages ago." And so he thought the most normal thing that we do in our church was we send cupcakes to people. We do. I thought when there's people in need that this is what we do. And I, he almost felt like I was, I was sort of scolding him for sending a care pack. And I said, no, that's exactly what we do. And the family, the family was so impacted. They were going through a whole bunch of other stuff that they said to me, you, man, thank you so much. Like They were kind of trying to say, we're not even part of your church, but yet you would do this kind of thing for us, knowing that actually, and this was Tremaine, this is a 21-year-old kid who turns up with, a, with, with his 19-year-old friend, and they both just rock up to their house and sort of knock on the door, and hello, we just here's some stuff because we know you've got COVID, and we know you can't get out, and we hope this blesses you, and thank you. And, and for them, it was just so, dis, just so disruptive for them to go, wow, you, didn't, you thought of us? And I just want to, I kind of want to just share a few thoughts around this, this, this story this morning, because disruptive love is a funny thing. If somebody, many years ago, I was in Egypt, and Sounds all very flash, doesn't it? But we were living in London at the time, and, and we went to Egypt, and we're walking through this, this sort of a market. And, uh, and you sort of get heckled quite a bit in Egypt. It's a pretty intense environment. And there were some guys trying to sell, you know, my wife Fiona some things, and she was walking, and they were sort of chasing, and I was sort of getting closer and closer. And, and then eventually one of them put their hands on her shoulder. And I'm like, oh, no, you didn't just do that. And, I, and I, 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 without even thinking about it, I just went boom and just pushed the guy away. And he sort of stumbled back. I mean, the, the sheer force of my shoulders were just like, you know, and I just, it was like a one-inch punch, you know, it was sort of like, you know. And, and, and he stumbled back and, and he looked at me and I'm like, don't ever touch my wife again. And I just, it just came out. I'm not a violent man. 
But I just found myself, and, I, and, and it's this sort of, it was this, this again, this disruptive love. I, it sort of disrupted my senses to think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose violence today. Because if anybody lays hands on my wife, that's going to be my response. And it was just, and it, for me, it almost shocked me. Like, And then we sort of walked, and we, okay, we better probably walk now and maybe go to the safety of our, um, wherever, wherever we're going. But again, disruptive love is a really, is a really powerful thing. It's a really powerful force, and, and, and it puts you in places where you may be a little bit more uncomfortable. Um, but I want to just talk about what it was around Jesus that disrupted us, because i got a kind of sneaking suspicion that most of us are here because, not because of a one-inch punch, but maybe because Jesus did something in our lives where we go, I'm still going to keep turning up because there's something in my heart that's been changed, and, 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 and I, and I, I want to hear more, because there's a group of people around here that are, that are doing things that are different than what the world is doing. And there's a, there's a level of thinking here that's different. And I just want to be a part of this thing because I don't quite know why, though. And so I want to talk about Jesus. And, and Jesus, in, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, he talks about, he delivers this sort of most jaw-dropping sermon. And he talks about things like the Beatitudes, you know, who are blessed and why blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they should be filled. And, and he goes on and on about these, these, these Beatitudes and, and he talks about salt and light. He says we need to be salty to the world. We've got to offer the world something that we've got to flavor our world. You know, what good is salt if it's just simply trampled underfoot? Like we've got to be also be light to a world as well. And for that, that was kind of some revolutionary concepts. He's talked about the law. Now, again, he's approaching some really gnarly subjects. He's talking about the law, which for the Jews at the time, the law was everything. The law and temple worship, that was all they were doing. And he says, I, he says I've come to abolish this and replace it with something better. He says, I've not, sorry, not come to abolish it, I've come to fulfill it. Like, to, for someone to come up and say, I am the fulfillment of all of those things that you talked about back in the Old Testaments, prophets. And so again, everybody's thinking he's a madman. He talks about anger. He says, don't come and offer sacrifices if you're still harboring anger in your heart. Like, oh, I'm so angry, but I've got to do my sacrifices anyway. That's a good analogy for us, I think, even in church. Once my good friend Stu Shutt and I were having a bit of a, a conversation at the start of church, and I was about to lead the service, and we were talking about something, and we were both getting a little bit heated about something, something so minor. And, and it, was, it was in the sort of the first worship song. So I had one song to go to settle my differences before I got up on stage. And I'm like, I can't get up and go, hey, how's everybody doing this morning? Welcome. Jesus is good. And so I can remember sitting about there, and he was sitting where Jono was sitting, and I'm like, it was the fourth worship song, and God's saying, you've got to deal with this thing. And I literally had to walk over. I'm like, let's hug it out. I just need to hug. I'm sorry, you know, for being what I was being. And, you know, and I was waiting for him, of course, to say he was sorry too. And you are, you know, okay, just for me, was it? Okay. And, and, uh, so, and I get up on stage. But, again, I was free. There's a sense of, like, I had to deal with that, you know. So um, he talks about adultery. He talks about adultery wasn't just something that the physical act of adultery, but he talks about in the New Testament, even if you look at someone lustfully in your heart. So the standards are much higher and they are much different. He talks about making vows, sticking to your yes, let it be yes and let your no be no. So all of these things were wild for people. And they're all listening and somehow they're all like, wow, what is he saying? This is just blowing my mind. And then he says this, and this is the passage I want to go to, Matthew chapter 5. And I want to read a few verses for you. Thank you, team. Bam. It's really good. It's really good. It's as almost as if we planned it, but we didn't. So, so, so listen to the words of Jesus. Again, in this concept of disruptive, he says, 
And I'm highlighting a few things. He says, you have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Verse 39. And he says, but I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, he says, give your coat. This was the coat that kept you warm at night. This was the outer coat, the thing that actually you needed to keep, to keep warm. He says, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, which, again, in that custom of the day, you had to do that. If a, if, a, if a Roman soldier says, carry my gear, you had to do it by law. But you didn't have to carry it an extra mile. And Jesus says, but I want you to carry it that extra mile. So I want you to not only do what you have to do, because everybody's doing what we have to do, like being disruptive and bringing this kind of disruptive love to our community is not going to happen by us doing what we have to do. I'll find Jesus. I'll do it. I'll hug my neighbor. You know, I'll feed people if I have to do that stuff. He's like, no, that's not going to disrupt anything. But when you take that another mile, people go, wait, what's that guy doing? I'm like, I'm walking another mile with this person's bags. People start noticing that stuff. He says, give to those who ask and don't turn away. Don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Don't look the other way. Don't kind of look across the road and think, I really should do something about that. But somebody should do something about that. You know how we can say that in church sometimes? Oh, Pastor Jono, somebody should do something about the poverty in our city. It's a real problem. Somebody should do something about homelessness. Man, I watch the TV every night and I see that somebody should do something. Okay. And then he goes on, verse 43. And listen to the language again. You have heard. So he's trying to make the point. Your whole life you've done this a certain way. Your whole life this has been all that you've known. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And Jesus again says, he's confronting them, but I say, love your enemies. Like he said, I'm saying the complete opposite. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you only love, this is the most confronting verse, I think, in the New Testament. If you only love those who love you, what reward is there in that? Even to corrupt tax collectors do that. If you're only kind to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? If I'm being kind to my mate Jono, everybody expects that. Everybody expects that. Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So this is, I think this is the point that Jesus is trying to make. I'm coming here to do something very different. I'm coming here to do something very different. It's interesting to know that he came and said all these things, and then, and then primarily he told these things to 12 people, who then now 2.3 billion people around the world, you know, confessed the name of Jesus. And it was with this kind of message. You know, you've heard this, but I say that. I know before it was like this, but, but I'm saying that now. I know you once thought it was low, but I'm saying it's high. I know you thought it was black, but I'm saying now it's white. I know you thought it was up, but I'm saying it's down. I know you thought that there's actually left, I'm saying it's right. And so everybody's like, what is going on? Who is this person saying all these things? He goes on in, in Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10. Disruptive story. Who is my neighbor? Well, let me tell you about the person that you hate the most. That's the person I'm asking you to go and love. He kept company with Pharisees, tax collectors, and prostitutes. 
if, if, if that was the company we kept now, we came to church every Sunday, I think people would go, Mayo keeps company with people like that. So I'm just saying, I don't know what kind of life, I'm not making a judgment. Because I think sometimes there's a part of us that wants to go, people are hanging out with those people. And oh, if that's all they're hanging out with, I'll oh, be careful because the world can corrupt you. They'll take you away. And we kind of say things like that because I think not that we have the issue with Maya doing those things. It's a, just an analogy. Poor Maya's like right front and center. But it's not because I think we have an issue with that. I think we have an issue with that because she's doing the things that I probably need to be doing. And I'm confronted by the fact that other people are living the kind of life that I go, I really should be doing that because I've actually been burdened by that. He, he turned over money tables, uh, t- the tables of money changes. Why? Because again, he saw something. He says, no, but I, I said this, but you're doing that. And that's not what I saw. That's not what I saw for the temple. This is not how it should be. He welcomes home the lost son in Luke 15. Why? That's not what used to happen. The lost son, the prodigal son, he was gone. You took the inheritance, you were dead to not only your father, but the whole community of faith that were there. And yet, he welcomes him back. Not only does he welcome him back, robe, sandals, the whole deal. Kill the fattened calf. For a guy that lived loose living, it just, did you get this? The whole thing is so confronting. And I read this and I go, Jesus did all these things. The dialogue with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. I still think it's the most beautiful story in the whole Bible. Go now and sin no more. And then, and then she has this conversation with Jesus. He says, you're not married. You know, I know, I know that, you know that you're living with, you've been married four times. The fifth person you're living with, you're still not, you're not married to him. So he knows of these things. So he's saying these very things that go right to the core of her being and her identity and everything that she is. And yet somehow she comes away from this conversation with Jesus and she runs back to the village of where she was shunned and where she was shamed and says, come, listen to a man that's told me everything that I've ever did. It's like me saying to you, hey guys, come and, come and let me tell you all about my sins and all the things that I've done wrong and all the thoughts in my head. It says no one ever in our day and age. And yet she does it and the whole village somehow followed her because they've seen something in her that was so different to the person that left to go and get water. And all of a sudden, somehow she has this influence with this town where she was shunned, and all because of an encounter and a conversation with this person, Jesus. This person, Jesus, is remarkable in so many ways, and he had such an impact on so many people. So let me tell you about my week. Can I do that? I wrote this part on the plane on the way down, so, so, so this is a bit fresh and a bit raw, but like, like with Jono, I've got to be obedient and uh, last week we last week in the language household it was a long week, and we we had a we had a, a, <laughs> a really awkward moment where um, we had to put our cat down, uh, which is sad. And our cat wasn't the most affectionate cat, um, so in some ways I've sort of <laughs> it sounds callous, but I've sort of processed it quite quickly, and I'm already thinking about the next cute little kitten that I want, who hopefully gives me a little bit more affection than Lola did. However. Um, it's a sad thing that happened, but what had happened was, and keep this between us, and um, Diana Mills, if you're watching, welcome, hi, good to see you. Um, but, if you but, but what had happened was our, friends, our good friends came around and bought their dog, and, 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 and I wasn't home, but there was a situation that transpired where the dog got hot in the car, so our friend said, can we bring our dog into the garage 
Yes, as long as the cat's not in there, because this, this is a, a bit of a cat killer. Um, graphic story, I know. And it's a greyhound, and so it's just a, it's just a, it's just a born killer. And so, and, so, and so they brought the dog around, and we had a, sort of a friend around as well. And we thought, they, they looked in the garage. No, the cat's not in the garage. And anyway, the dog comes into the garage, and we've now locked a mass murderer with Lola. And a pretty horrible situation, as you can imagine, occurred. And so pretty traumatic in terms of how it happened. Um, fortunately, our kids were in home, uh, but this happened. And so, and now we've got a situation. And these are, again, these are really good friends, really old friends of ours. So put yourself in that whole dynamic. And so, you know, so we had to put Lola down, and they ended up having to put their dog down. And so just a sad week, right? A pretty uh, sad week. Uh, we've also tried to, my dad. And his wife live in the Hawke's Bay, and for a while now we've been trying to, they're getting older, we've been trying to move them up to Auckland. And we had a, an offer accepted on a house in Auckland, and uh, a really great place and a great kind of a community out in Monaco where we live, like less than a kilometre from our house. The whole thing was perfect, but we had to sell this house to buy this house. And I think some of you know the story, but we've been paying our, our dad's mortgage for about the last five years, so we feel like that's what we've got to do. And so that's what we've done. And so... We, we had this offer accepted, and then there was always a cash-out clause. If somebody offered cash, we would have three days to respond. And So anyway, about six weeks had gone by, and then someone offered cash. And we're like, you've got three days to respond. I'm like, can we magic up you know, a few hundred thousand dollars? Probably not. And so, so we lost the sale in that house too, so now we're back to the drawing board of trying to find another place um, with that as well. Notwithstanding the fact that there's a lot of complicated family. Anyone's got families? Yeah. So there's a lot of complicated dynamics with all of that as well, even trying to get them over the line. And so the family all nominated me to ring dad, you know, because somehow, well, you're the pastor. And, uh, you know, do your job. You know, none of them are saved, but somehow, you know, when they want to be Christians, they can be. Um, you know, you do your pastoral thing because that's what you get paid for, right? And so fine. So I'm ringing, hey, hey, dad, hey. Awesome. Hey, um, you know, and I had to tell them the situation, and I'm kind of hoping that they're still going, yeah, we're still on board with the plan, and they were, which is good. Um, and then on the other side of our family, we've got a long-term family member that's just long-term illness, 12 years now, just a really tricky situation. And yesterday, we sort of had this family meeting, and just, you know, family meetings can be quite tense. And, and you know, there's a, lot, there's a lot of sort of stress and pressure on this, in, in our family for this thing that's been happening for a long time now. And, uh, and just things where you've got to just process in your heart. You've got to just breathe and know that God is doing something in the midst of it. And that sort of happened yesterday. And in, in the midst of all that, this ongoing family logistics, we've got three active sons that we've got to make sure. I'm always thinking, am I, am I being the best father? Am I being the best dad? Am I being the best husband to my wife? Am I doing all these things? Every time I go away, am I, go, am I doing enough? Do the kids know what I'm doing and what we're passionate about as a family? And sometimes you always have these insecurities to think, am I doing all the right things and am I making all the right decisions? And so that was, that was, the, that was the last seven days, right? It's the last seven days. And so there's a ton of stuff going on. And then I go back to this disruptive love of Jesus. And I think, is it the fact that, that we need this disruptive love because we live in a really disruptive world? Like maybe the combating of the disruptive chaos that we all kind of live in Maybe the only way to process that is this disruptive love of Jesus. 
Because we don't live in a normal world that's not disrupted. We can think about the last two and a half years like, man, what major disruption? But if you know anything about people, disruption was always there before that, and disruption will always be there after that. Because as, as, as maybe as morbid as it sounds, most people live in chaos most of the time. Because we live in this fallen world, and it's not, I don't think it's too negative to say that. It's just the reality of people's worlds are really complicated. We live in a world full of sin and tainted with sin and contaminated. And so we can't expect, whilst we're called to bring heaven to earth, we can't expect that to happen in a heartbeat. This is life's work type stuff. And so for me, I've kind of just wrote, I wrote down some thoughts about this and, and started a process. Well, what is it in my world that, what is it about Jesus that he's done in my life that I'm able to then process this stuff? Like, how can I come and preach on Sunday all the stuff and not feel the heaviness and the, oh, God, what have I got to say to people? Because when I share all these stories, I'd almost guarantee there's people in this world, in this room, that are like, yeah, there's some stuff that happened to me last week. There's some things that I thought. Maybe they didn't manifest themselves in that way. But you've had a situation at work or a situation at home or a situation with your kids or your family. And you go, gosh, and maybe you look at my week and you go, God, that's nothing on what I had to go through this week or this year or the last two years or the last five years. And it's this kind of disruptive kind of love of Jesus is the very thing that's required, I think, to bring breakthrough to this world. Because here's the things that I've had to process. In, in all of these situations, without Jesus, there's no way that I can process the stuff that happens to me. There's no way that I, I don't have the tools and the skill sets to be able to handle the kind of mental and emotional and even psychological and spiritual pressures that, that come at me. There's no way that I can process those things. And so I, I, I often tell people to, to read the Gospels, and I, I always look at Jesus and I go, Jesus, how did you, if you were, you were the Son of God, which, which, which I can relate to not, not so much, you know, because I'm not, but you also said that you were the Son of Man, and I can relate to that person because I'm a son of a man and a woman. So I, I get that part of it. Make sense? And so I understand the son of man part. And so I relate to Jesus very much in a natural sense as the son of man. Okay, he went through all the same things that I went through. And if he went through all the same things that I went through, then how did he process these things? Because that's the humanity side. Sometimes as, uh, the world would say that as Christians, we kind of live in la-la land. And I'm like, no, we really don't. <laughs> we live in the same world that everybody else lives in. But we, but we serve this God who was the Son of Man, born the Son of Man, who actually can help us. And yet we have the supernatural side to us because he's the Son of God that enables us to actually have the strength to get through all the things that we go through in life. And so this is kind of how I kind of process it. And maybe the band can come up because I don't want to speak too long because I, I, I do want us to respond this morning. And I don't know what we're like with response. I don't know what we what sort of culture we have, whether we feel we need to respond. But, but often we have this area down the front of stage we call the altar. And nothing particularly supernatural about the front of stage. It's just the front part of the stage. But, but what I'm going to ask you to do is, is, again, because I've got to be obedient to what I felt God say to me, particularly on the plane on the way down this morning. And I want you to respond to what you feel is in your heart. And so what we're going to do at the end of the service is I'm going to pray, and, and, and if you feel you want to come forward, I'm going to actually ask you to walk out of your seat, which, again, straight away you're thinking of the dynamics of the room. 
Uh, I'm in the middle. I'm sort of dealing with that thing, but I think I can get through it okay by myself. You know, and I've got to get past three people. One, two, yeah, I'm counting, you're counting them now, three. And I'll have to go to the end. And what are people going to think if I come down the front? Because everyone thinks that I'm sorted and I'm probably telling them that I'm not. And all these things happen in your head because, again, because we're humans. But, but I want you to respond because there's something really freeing about going, I, I feel like there's a thing in my heart that I've got to do. And so at the end, we're going to create a space for you. I'm just preempting that now because just to cover off all your thoughts. So last week, I've needed love, I've needed joy, I've needed peace, I've needed patience. I started listing off the the joys of, you know, the fruits of the the Spirit. And I was thinking, I was thinking to God, okay, what have I needed? What have I needed in all these situations that just happened in the last seven days? And I started listing them. I'm like, I'm just going to list all nine of the fruits, because these are all the things that I've needed to outwork. I'm going to go through them again. I've needed love, joy, peace. I've needed a lot of patience. I've needed a lot of kindness. I've needed a lot of forgiveness. I've needed a lot of gentleness, a lot of faithfulness, and lots and lots and lots of self-control. Lots of self-control. There was a time in one of these situations last week where I could feel like physiologically my heart racing because of this, the stress of the situation. I haven't, I haven't felt that in many years where I felt so upset by a situation. And I could feel my cheeks being flushed and my heart racing and my mouth going dry. And I remember thinking, what is, like, what is happening to me? Why am I at this point where I'm, I'm feeling so strongly about this situation? I know, I know why it was now. But to be able to handle that stuff like I've need and I needed self-control and everything within me to not respond. Because while I wanted the person to turn the other cheek, I wanted it so I could slap it. But Jesus doesn't say slap the other cheek, he says, No, you offer your cheek. And so I read all these things and I go, Man, if I'm gonna live this kind of life, this life of overflow and abundance that Jesus talks about, I think Jesus says, Jake, there's a whole bunch of situations that are gonna happen. But I've, I've given you all the tools to handle them. I've given you all the tools that you've needed. And again, throughout the whole Bible, I'm so encouraged by Jesus because the, probably the message of the whole Bible is really God with us. It's God with His people. I know it's a bit more complicated than that. But I've always known that God is with me. I've always known that in every situation that He's there and that He sees me right now with my flushed face and my heart racing and me wanting to say a whole bunch of things that wouldn't have been helpful to the discussion and the discourse. But the whole time, the Holy Spirit's like, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. And as He's saying that, I can feel my breathing start to steady. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. And this is how Jesus helps me. And this is how He can help everybody. It's by Him saying, I love the fact that when we breathe, what's that old word, ruach, the breath of God, the Holy Spirit. Isn't it cool that every time we breathe, it's like we're breathing in our breath, but we're breathing in the breath of the Holy Spirit. And I think God's saying, come on, Jacob, I I need you to breathe. I need you to breathe because you can overcome the situation too. And he's saying, because I'm here with you. In In Galatians chapter five, where we read about the fruits of the Spirit, Again, this morning I read it again and it's entitled 
um, living by the Holy Spirit's power. And I thought, wow, God, this is so cool. Because in all these situations, I hope this is positive enough for you to leave with. <laughs> but in all these situations, I need to know that God has the answers. Like I need to know, God, that you're good. And I need to know that everything that you've called me to go through. And again, my stuff's nothing compared to so many other people. But I need to know that your Holy Spirit's power is able to overcome all of this stuff. And I need to know that I'll still come out of it not smelling of smoke and not smelling of residue and somehow not preaching a bit negatively or going at situations or being a bit antsy about this. But we're living by the Holy Spirit's power. This morning when I packed my bag, um, I, I can never remember what we do with water bottles. I, Fire planes a bit, but I can never remember what we do with full water bottles anymore. But in case I have to chuck it out, I kind of go, I had a full water bottle and I'm like, ah, it's cold water. And so I'm at home and I, I chuck out all the water. It's one of those metal, metal bottles, you know. And I close the lid and then I packed it in my bag. And then, I, and then I, I still have it in my bag now, an empty water bottle that I didn't fill up at the airport on the other side of the gate that I could have done. So it's still there. And, and it's, it's useless to me. Because it's just, it's just a thing of displacement in my bag. Like it's a big bottle. It's a small bag. I'm just here for a day. I'm not carrying a massive suitcase. And yet there's this, there's this empty water bottle that's literally doing nothing for me that I've now carried down. I won't fill up now for the rest of the day and I'll go home and I would have just carted around an empty water bottle. And I think the empty water bottle represents all the things that happen to us in life. There's a lot of empty water bottles. But God's saying, but in order for the Holy Spirit to move through that, you've got to fill it up with water because actually it's still taking up the same amount of room. It might be a little bit heavy, but I need the refreshment from it because my mouth's a little dry and I need the refreshment. So there's no point. I can't go to my empty water bottle and go, and I feel like God's saying to a whole bunch of us, there's, there's no point just filling up your life with empty water bottles because they take up a whole bunch of room. But if we're not actually filling them with water, if we're not actually finding a way through these things in life by allowing the Holy Spirit's power to work in us and through us, then we're not going to be able to get through all the things in life that God calls us to get through. And so we're not able to then demonstrate the disruptive love of Jesus to our world. Because the most powerful thing, and here's the kicker, the most powerful thing about all of these stories and the things that we go through is how we come out the other side of them. You know when you see those TV programs, I don't watch a lot of TV, but whenever there's a program about somebody going through a really tough time, and you always hear the story, and then you go, oh, and by the way, this person's just lost their parents, and by the way, they have this terminal illness, and by the way, they have this thing, and somehow they're on one leg, and all this, and I'm like, how is this person even surviving? And yet through it, they come on, and they're like, and they have this, just this ability to go, and I think people like that are inspiring. When they go through all the things that they go through, and yet somehow they never say, oh, I wish my life was different. Because they go, well, this is, you know, this is the life that God's given me. And there's a real beauty in that, of actually knowing that sometimes we can think, I wish I had somebody else's life. And if I'd grown up differently, if I had different parents, if I had different opportunities. I often think with my cardiac arrest when I had when I was 17, I think, oh, why don't I still got to have this metal box in here? And, why have I got to have operations and scars everywhere? And, and then I think, man, I'm still here. Like I've got the testimony of going, man, God, you healed me. 
And somehow there's a real beauty to that. There's a real beauty to our brokenness. There's a, there's a Japanese um, pottery, I think it's called katsugi or something. What is it? Katsugi. Thank you. Katsugi. And I found this out recently. I want to buy one of the bowls. But these are, these are cracked bowls that they've repaired in, in, the, in the middle of the cracks. There's like gold and whatever. And they've turned these kind of cracked pieces of... May I would explain it's a lot better than me. <laughs> but it's now this thing of beauty and they're selling them and it has more value than it was when it was even one whole piece. And I think that's what God loves to do in our lives. You know, He loves to take the cracked pieces and the brokenness and the hurt and He goes, I'll do something amazing with it. But if we're going to show this, this disruptive love to the world, it's how we process these things. So if people come to me and they say, oh, Jake, man, you've, you've had a long seven days. And I go, yeah, it's been real tough. Like, that's not super inspiring. It's okay to have the humanity side of it. But I want the beauty of God's love to come through. I want the beauty of His presence to come through. I want to say, yeah, but man, God has given me everything. Even before all these happened, I'm a son or daughter of the Most High God, and that's everything for me. And so we're back to where we started. Back to the ice cube. You see, for me, how are we warming up our community? Like, these are the things I think about all the time. How are we kind of reminding people about the love of Jesus? You see, sometimes we feel like, again, we're hammering away. We're hammering away. and We've got these things that happen to us in our world, and, and nothing's happening. But I believe just one person at a time, we can continue to warm up the temperature of our world so that eventually we start seeing cracks open and we start seeing people start to ask us the real questions. Why do you do the things that you do? Why do you send the cupcakes? We don't even know you. Why are you turning the other cheek? Why are you walking two miles when you only need to walk one? Like, that's the stuff I get inspired by. These are the things that I get excited about. Just this last week, we've had two of our teachers in our church. We've got a whole bunch of kids that not only are they struggling in school, but they're not really attending school. And it's a massive problem. And they're part of my e-group, and two of them were like, they're just amazing teachers. And they're both like, well, we can do something about that. And so for a lot of our youth, we're going to start this little homework club after school. And they're really excited about it. They're saying, we can make a difference. We can do something in our world. You see, we've all got stuff that we can do. We've all got gifts and abilities and graces upon our lives to be able to make a massive difference in our world. I love that. I'll finish with this. I love the Stonecutter's Credo. If you haven't ever read this, it's, this is another analogy which you can go with. When nothing seems to help, I go and look at a stonecutter hammering away at his rock, perhaps a hundred times without as much as a crack showing in it. Yet at the hundred and final blow, a first blow, a hundred and first blow, it was split in two. And I know that it was not that blow that did it, but all that had gone before. Isn't that a cool thought? Maybe we feel like we're hammering away and nothing's happening and somebody else comes and all of a sudden the situation's unlocked. I think that's how Jesus calls us to be. And so Galatians 6, 9 says, let's never tire from doing good because just at the right time we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we never give up. And I think it's the harvest of blessing that's the thing that I'm believing for. God, through this all, you're going to bring a harvest of blessing. Through this all, my family's going to know you. Through this all, my friends are going to know you. My world's going to know you. Through all of this, I pray, God, that my life is inspiring enough to be able to reach another generation. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.